They gave him a bump, feet out in front, the big save by Leonard. Closing to his right, puck goes around behind the goal. Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Polisar again down low, right side he shoots, not down, Theodore fires, and he scores! This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Rolling right along, hour number two, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. It's Wallace and Chapman. Millard is on assignment today. Fear not. Darren will be back with us tomorrow on the program when the Golden Knights take on the Detroit Red Wings. 7 o'clock puck drop, 6 o'clock pregame show, and of course the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show will be on 4 to 6. So three hours of wall-to-wall hockey to get you set for Vegas and Detroit. And I think a lot of attention in that show tomorrow is going to be based on who the heck is going to be in the lineup for the Golden Knights. As we touched on in hour number one, Golden Knights have added forward Michael Amadio to the NHL's COVID protocol list. So current players unavailable for the Golden Knights in COVID protocol. Will Carrier, Jonathan Marcheseau, Michael Amadio. Players unavailable we suspect due to injury max pacioretty william carlson nolan patrick and then there's question marks on maybe alec martinez like maybe you get alec martinez back but probably still a little bit of ways to go on zach white cloud and then last night you you lose Shea Theodore in the third period to kind of a freak play. Uh, don't know the status update for Shea Theodore and Evgeny Dodonov catches a, a stick up high. Not sure if there's any update or if we're going to get an update on Dodonov before uh, the game tomorrow. So the Golden Knight lineup tomorrow against Detroit might look very, very different from what it did yesterday against the Carolina Hurricanes. And then just one more bit of housekeeping here. The Golden Knights did claim Adam Brooks off of waivers today from the Montreal Canadiens. Brooks is from Winnipeg and 22 NHL games, nine points, four goals, five assists. Uh, undersized, I guess, is is a word you can use, but I, I don't really want to get there in today's NHL. Like you could see, you see a lot of players incredibly successful, um, even if they're not six foot or, or greater than that. Uh, with Brooks, it's, it's about direct nature, right? Like if you're coming into a team uh, like the Golden Knights, if you're going to be playing in a bottom six role, which is what we'd expect Brooks to, to be, assuming assuming that he finds his way into the lineup tomorrow night for, for Vegas, uh, you're looking at a guy that, that you want to just go to the net and try to create some good things. Nearly a, a half a point a game in the NHL, 22 games of NHL experience. Um, it, it should be a good pickup for the Golden Knights, but I think the bigger question, the larger question surrounding this team is uh, at what point, do do you start to feel like you turn the corner? And, you know, it's so weird because I remember how we viewed this team through the lens on Saturday night, right? They go, they, they have a monster win against the Vancouver Canucks, 7-4, to four, highly entertaining game. You get Mark Stone back in the lineup on Monday. We're talking about how the rating for this game is off the charts fantastic because you feel like you're turning a corner on the injuries. You feel like you're moving in the right direction, and all of a sudden, uh, this depleted team is going to get closer and closer to what we expected them to be at the beginning of the year. And then... 
in a couple of days, that narrative has gone from you're on the other side of things to this might be as bad as it's been all year long. Like, Chapman, when you look at this team right now, and we, we, we look at the injuries, we know what the stretches have been without players. The unknown nature of who is or isn't going to be available for the Golden Knights tomorrow has to be the most daunting task for head coach Pete DeBoer and the rest of the Golden Knights organization. Yeah, I mean, we and the thing is, we don't know and we won't know until probably puck drop tomorrow night or at least until warm-ups if Shea Theodore and Evgeny Dodonov are in the lineup because... We, we won't be able to – obviously, we couldn't talk to Pete today. We won't have the opportunity to talk to him tomorrow. So yeah. I, I I just don't know. It, it seems unfathomable to me just how injury-bitten this team has been. I mean, last night, and, and I, don't, I don't remember who tweeted it out or who said it. I'm sure multiple people have tweeted it out and said it. But it was the first time in team history that neither William Carlson and Jonathan Marcheseau were – in the lineup. I mean, obviously those guys had missed games previous, but not at the same time. And yeah. it's, it's, we're now five years into this thing. And it's the first time that both of those guys have missed a game on the same night. It, it, it's just mind blowing to me. Max patch ready. It seems like, it seems like he's been out forever. It seems like, because it was so early in the season when he got hurt and you get the big boost with stone coming back. And as you mentioned last night, uh, Theodore, we, I, I mean, we can't speculate, but there were a lot of different things that could have gone wrong there. Um, and then mm-hmm. Dodonov takes a stick to the face, and we don't know if it was just a just a cut or if it's something structural, right? Like if he broke his nose, he might be out for a while. So it's it's just one of those things where I cannot imagine, and I can't look. I'm I'm 42 years old. I've been a sports fan for almost my entire life. I cannot remember a team that I have seen go through the amount of injuries that this team has gone through in just a month and it's not like we're talking about bottom of the bottom of the line guys we're talking about massive contributors to this team to have Pacioretty, Carlson, Marcheseau so all out of the lineup at the same time then previous you had Stone out with those guys but Marcheseau so was in it's like you get one guy back and you lose another big star player so I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Hopefully this is the end and the news will start to get better. But, I mean, it, like I said w- with Ben, they had two entire lines out there on the ice last night that were combined making less money than the fourth-line center of the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, it's 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 wild to even think about that that you have six skaters on the ice making less money than the fourth line center for the team you're playing and yet still the team is nine and seven on the year two games above 500 and i i know that you know you you get a point or two if you come away with a win last night you you're 10 and six and you view things a little bit differently but i am curious to get your rating on last night's game obviously you all know our rating system here at the vgk insider show we are assessing these games based on heat of peppers yes that's right heat of peppers a one is a bell pepper two jalapeno three habanero four ghost five carolina reaper Uh, we've contextualized the game as much as possible we understand that the golden knights did not have the roster that you would 
expect them to have in a measuring stick game against the Carolina Hurricanes. However, I am going to, when I get to my rating, touch on something Pete DeBoer said last night that I thought was important. So Chapman, real quick for you, what do you rate last night's game? It it, it was really hard for me to come up with a rating for this game because I, I just... There's so many different aspects of that game to, to really look at and, and say, yep. how do I rate it? I think they played a pretty good game, and there was a stretch where they took they, they tied the game up, and I believe it was Matias Yanmark had an opportunity to put them ahead, and Antti Ranta was just up to the task of, of stopping him. But, I mean, it, it's so hard to gauge what, that game was last night. So I'm going to go, like I said, I, I think they played pretty well. They kind of stood toe to toe with one of the best teams in the NHL. So I'm going to go with the ghost pepper, despite the fact that they lost four to two. I saw a lot of fight. I saw a lot of effort and I just saw a team that talent wise just wasn't up to par with the team that was on the other side of the ice. And that's not a bad thing considering what this team is going through. I'm 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 gonna go with with a ghost pepper. You know that's interesting. I, I I don't I don't find a fault in that, except for when Pete DeBoer brings up after the game that you go into the third period two to two, the opportunity in front of you to grab points in this one it's on the table, right? And so that's why I'm going habanero, right? Like. This Golden Knights team, and just think about the emotional uplift that it, that you would have if you're able to p- just pull a point out of last night's game, right? Like you yeah, can you build off of that for for a week, right? And so it wasn't so much that that I think the Golden Knights gave it away. It was just Carolina knew exactly what they needed to do in that third period. What I saw from the Hurricanes was a team that said, okay, you know what? The Golden Knights tied the game in the second period. They poured it on. Vegas bent, didn't break. And they were able to bend, not break, because they were saved by intermission. It was all Carolina the second half of the second period. And then what you saw from the Hurricanes in the in the open of the third period was you hunt down a goal, and then you shut it down. And then you you allow the Golden Knights to, to get frustrated because they can't break the puck into the zone. You allow the Golden Knights to force plays, hope plays, simply because they're trying to, to find that next goal. And then Carolina jumps on another turnover, put it in the back of the net, it's 4-2, to two, and all of a sudden the Golden Knights are, just, just don't have a way to break through. I, I, I feel like this team really could have benefited in that moment. Given the context of the season, they could have benefited from a point out of last night's game because I think they did play well enough and and against a really good opponent, undermanned. I feel like they played well enough to get a point. When you play well enough to get a point and you don't, it's hard for me to go above a three out of five. Yeah, I I, I could see that. And and I was wavering between Ghost Pepper and... and habanero um you know the, the the one thing is they they come out of in the third period and it was kind of a a bad luck goal for the knights right it deflects off the skate of was i believe the donoff mcnab lost his stick on that play and it completely took him out of the play um it, it's just it, it, it was really bad luck and and i saw a lot on social media about people being upset with with rebounds 
And mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of, I, I, I don't know, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, Robin Leonard was facing a ton of shots. And here's the other thing. They, the Golden Knights, it's not like they can't block shots without Alec Martinez in the lineup, but they didn't mm-hmm. do a very good job of getting in the way of a lot of shots last night. And, and look, Carolina is a high-volume team. The Golden Knights are allowing, I, I don't know if it's the most, but they're certainly in that territory of allowing the most shots on net in the league right now. And and obviously it probably has a lot to do with the injuries. But mm-hmm. I don't think Robin Leonard really had any. I, 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 I don't see how people can blame him for the rebounds that he gave up because, I mean, when you're facing that high-volume amount of shots, it's just, it just stands to reason you're not going to be able to swallow every single puck. I mean, you're going to give up rebounds. And the Golden Knights well, didn't clear enough of those rebounds out of, the, out of the zone. That's the point. That's the point right there. Like, it, 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 you know, I, I, I was annoyed by it, I think, in the first intermission report, and I was, uh, I was full-blown over it by the time we hit the extended postgame show last night, it, to the point where I was daring listeners to call and tell me that I'm wrong about rebound control. Did anybody call I, in and tell you you were wrong? Uh, no, okay. no, nobody did. And and here's, but he, but so like, it, here's the thing that I don't understand. If you have the goal for Sebastian Ajo, in on any other goalie for any other team, I think you're saying, "Wow, I can't believe he made the initial save." Right? Like you're going right to left as Robin Leonard is. The shot comes back across your body. The only thing, literally, the only thing that you can get on it is your right pad. And lest I, lest I forget. You don't have Velcro. You don't have sticky substances on your pad. Like you can't just get a puck to die on your pad when you're going. When all your momentum is moving left, the puck is coming across your body to the right, and you just have to kick it out and hope that your defense can collapse down in front of the net and tie up a stick. The reason the Sebastian Ajo goal went in in the first period to make it two to nothing is not because of a poor rebound from Robin Leonard. It's because defense didn't tie up Sebastian Ajo, who was wide open in front of the net. You cannot allow that player to be that wide open. And granted, it's a power play. You're always going to have one player unmarked on the opposition because that's the advantage of a, a five on four power play. But simply, you can't allow that to be Sebastian Ajo in front of your net. Yeah, and, and the reality is, you, you look at that scenario, and if you put any other team in that situation and the same exact thing happens, it's always going to be a goal because, A, Sebastian Ajo is that good, but mm-hmm. he didn't really have to do anything special to score that goal. I mean, it, it was just, it, it, it's, it, 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 I don't know. It, I, I saw a lot of it, and I'm like, why are people, like, saying rebounds, rebounds? I mean... The, the, there, there's some onus on the defenseman to get the puck away from the net. I mean, in that situation, Chris, you're asking for your goalie to make the first save, right? Yeah, like yeah. you're you're on a pen, you're on a penalty kill. There's there's quick puck movement. You're not taking away the seams from Carolina, so they're able to find the seams and go low to high through the through the zone. And, and you know, anytime you go east west like that, and your goalie has to open up and move, and then the shot comes hard along the ice against the body, the only thing you're asking for your goalie to do is make the initial save. Everything else falls to the defenseman. 
It, it just yeah. simply does. Yeah. And, and there's not anything else that you can do on that play aside from just letting the initial shot go in that's going to change the outcome of that play. If you have a man unmarked at the, at the top of the crease on a power play and, and you get that shot and that look, that guy's going to score all day long. Yeah, I and I I don't even think it needs to be a player of the caliber of Sebastian Ajo who's going to score that. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where it's a it's a breakdown by by the the penalty kill, and I don't know how you can logically blame Robin Leonard for for that goal or or even the third goal that they scored. I don't know how you can say oh that's that's on Robin Leonard because I don't think that was on Robin Leonard, and and it was kind of. Interesting because he mentioned something in the post game last night about a stick, his stick. I I didn't quite understand like what he was he was saying. Obviously Jesse Granger, the goalie, he he kind of understood a little bit more than than I did. And and but he asked a really good question to Robin, and and he was like, "Hey, are are did you notice that they were shooting a lot of pucks low?" Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and Robin went, started talking about you know his stick, and he he wanted to be able to bat more pucks into the netting or or obviously away further out than, than where they were going. So so I found that interesting, even though I didn't quite understand what what the stick would have to do with it. Obviously there there there's something to that, but I I, I I now I have to start watching. Are teams purposely shooting the puck low, knowing that the Golden Knights are not or are giving up a lot of rebounds and close opportunities in front of the net because the guys aren't clearing the puck away. It's well, what I think it is, is is the Carolina Hurricanes understand that if the direct play isn't there, you look for plays off of different types of reads. So, you know, for me, when, when you're coming out on a two-on-one and you've got a defenseman right in the middle and he's playing a two-on-one well, but you still want to get that puck over to to the other player. Yeah. Sometimes the best play isn't forcing a, a pass through the defenseman or trying to sauce it over a defenseman. Sometimes the best play is going far post, hard along the ice for the goalie to make a save because in that situation, they're almost always going to kick out a rebound. And then it's going to be a read and react situation where if your player is able to get to the puck, great. If if the goalie is able to read and react and get over, then he might make a great save or you might have a wide open net. Like There are indirect plays in hockey that make a lot of sense. And I think what you saw out of Carolina last night was just a, a, a willingness to not try to make a perfect shot, but just to throw pucks into traffic, hoping for a bounce. And, you know, they, they got a couple of bounces to go their way. And for the Golden Knights, they, they just weren't quick enough in, in the reads and reactions to, to make an impact on those plays and, and nullify them. That, that really was the difference in the game. Carolina, a simplified game plan, and the Golden Knights, undermanned, trying to match that with, with not the results you were looking for. Yeah, and and like I said, they're 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 a really really good team. But I, yeah. I I know you mentioned that the opportunity was there for the Golden Knights to 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 earn points in that game. I think that was a game in the third period where Carolina just came out and they they took the points. Like, and I think sure. sometimes you you kind of have to tip your cap to the other team and say, you know what, you guys are just better than us right now, and you were the better team on the night. You were the better team when you needed to be the better team. And and I I don't know if if that's how the locker room feels. But watching that game, I think, as as an impartial, as impartial as I can be, <laughs> you know, I, I I just felt like, look, Carolina 
is one of those teams where even if the Golden Knights are at full strength, it's not going to be an easy game just because they're so well coached. They have so many talented players. And I, I was thinking about it, and I know you're a big Ducky Hamilton fan. They lost Ducky Hamilton, and somehow their blue line seems like it's better than it was last year. Like, like I, I, I mean, Slavin is a stud. And, yeah. and D'Angelo, if his head is is on straight, he's a, he's that that could prove to be one of the best signings in in of the off season. Sure. And yeah. then they they've got so many talented young players playing at the forward position. We mentioned uh, uh, obviously Aho, but Sveshnikov, uh, the kid who scored for them last night. I think he what, did he score the fourth goal. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He's only 19 years Seth old. Seth Jarvis? Jarvis. I'm yeah, like, Seth Jarvis. He, he's That's the game winner. Yeah, I'm like, the kid's 19 years old, and, and he's playing on the first line of a team that could win the Stanley Cup. I mean, that tells you how much talent that roster has. So, like, it, it, was, it was an interesting game for a number of different reasons, but, you know, you learn a lot about a team, I think, in, in how they react to a loss. And for the Golden Knights... As I've mentioned a couple of times throughout the year, there have been moments in games and times in games where it would have been easier to just kind of pack things in. Last night, honestly, after that first period, down 2 nothing to Carolina, understanding no Jonathan Marcheseau in the lineup, like it would have been pretty easy for the Golden Knights to to come out flat in the second period. They didn't do that. They They fight back. They get themselves square with Carolina going into the third period. And then, you know, as you mentioned, it was Carolina coming out and taking the two points. And that's exactly what they did. And once they scored, their output was very, very minimal because they were really in a shell defensively. Uh, But I thought what Mark Stone said after the game last night was fascinating, just in terms of kind of, you know, the Golden Knights are up against it. They're up against it with injuries. Now they're up against it with COVID. And the perception around the league and and the self-awareness in the locker room last night from Mark Stone, I thought, was just fantastic. The success we've had in four years, nobody's feeling sorry for us. Um, so we got to find ways to, uh, to generate points, generate wins. Um, obviously, we fought back hard in the second period, but... Um, we got to find ways to, to, to play a little bit smarter, uh, kind of dumb the game down a little bit to uh, you know, frustrate our opponents a little bit more. I thought they uh, controlled uh, the puck for the majority of the game. I think the shots kind of indicated that. Um, Laddie kind of kept us in it uh, uh, and gave us a chance to win, but um, we're going to have to find uh, uh, solutions going forward. Uh, we're missing some, some key players. Um, you know, I watched uh, a lot of hockey over the last month, and we found ways to win. Um, ready to get back to that. So Mark Stone, no one's going to feel sorry for us. Based on the success of the Golden Knights, there's not a team in the NHL that's sitting back saying, oh, man, this sucks for Vegas. There's there's no teams doing that. Everyone has uh, some injury troubles. Everyone has uh, seemingly or, or will seemingly have uh, some players on the COVID list. Like, this is something that every team in the league deals with. No one's sitting here feeling sorry for the Golden Knights. But the, the understanding of fi- battling back in the game the understanding that you just got to do what you can right now to, to win hockey games, to to find two points here, there, wherever you can get them. Um, I thought that that's the right mentality for the captain and Mark Stone to have because you can't sit there and think that that you know anything's going to get any easier for the Golden Knights. If we've learned anything about this season right now, Chris, it's that it's not going to be easy. It's not an easy season this year for the Golden Knights. No, no, and and. 
what's the old saying about some some things not being easy aren't worth doing, right? If it's not going to be hard, then sometimes it's not worth doing. Sometimes you want sure. that challenge. And I kind of feel like if they can weather this storm and you got to obviously knock on wood that nothing else happens, like you're, you're almost asking yourself, how could anything else happen? But if you're able to weather this storm, I think the amount of, of experience guys like Nick Watt and Nick Cage have gained from this experience, guys like, and I don't know what their, their bottom six is going to look like when everyone else comes back healthy. Like, I kind of feel like Jake LeCision has really earned an opportunity to be a full-time member of this Golden Knights team. The experience that these guys are getting, I, I, I think it's only going to help them when the games really start to matter the most. And that's April, yeah. May, when, when you're fighting for a playoff spot, you're fighting for, for seeding in the playoffs, you're fighting for home ice advantage, you're fighting in that game five when you're up 3-2 or maybe down 3-2 and you, you win the game and you advance. Adversity is a good thing. As long as it doesn't last the the, the, the whole season, I think that the, the adversity that this team is going through is only going to help them when they get to the playoffs. And And it sucks right now, but I feel like when you get fully healthy, knock on wood, and you insert Jack Eichel into the lineup, and he's playing with guys like Max Pacioretty or Mark Stone, and and he's scoring ridiculous goals, and you're you're like, oh my god, how did the Buffalo Sabers let this guy go? That's when you're going to look back and say, you know what, we really earned this. Especially if the team wins us down the cup, you're going to say they really, really earned it. And and I feel like that's the kind of thing where if you're a fan you're going to feel really good about that because it wasn't handed to you. It wasn't like you had this easy road. You, you would have overcome adversity that I don't really know if any team in the league has, has got, had to go through to this point. Yeah, adversity is a good thing. The Golden Knights will get another opportunity to get back in the win column. That'll be tomorrow night against the Detroit Red Wings. That game will be at 7 o'clock. We'll be on the air starting at 4 with the VGK Insider Show, live from T-Mobile Arena, and then the pregame show at 6 o'clock. Take a break, and on the other side, we've got one-timers right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. On to the near wing. Big shot, he scores! It's time for one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day. And it's a tie hockey game. On the VGK Insider Show. Here we go, one-timers. Excited for these. Starting off with a, a story that's really hurting my brain a bit. Uh, say goodbye on December 25th. Say goodbye to the Staples Center. The home of the LA Kings will be officially renamed Crypto.com Arena. That will launch on December 25th. That's a big Christmas present, I think, to everybody in Los Angeles. 20-year naming rights deal. Crypto.com Arena. Uh, Chapman, tell me you you don't like this. I don't even know what it is. Like, it, it, it almost sounds made up. Like, I'm a, big, I'm a big college football fan, and every year they have sure. these goofy bowl games, like the Pollen Weed Eater Bowl, and you're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, a couple years ago they had some truck stop that was sponsoring a bowl game in Boise, Idaho. Now it's the famous Potatoes Idaho Bowl. You're just like, what? 
I don't even know what crypto.com is. I I've I've obviously have heard of cryptocurrency. Apparently, it's like sure. all the rage. I have no idea if it's a good investment or a bad investment, what I should do, if I should buy some, if I shouldn't. But when I hear crypto.com instead of Staples Center, look, I, I don't have any affinity to Staples. I don't own stock in Staples. But to me, you're changing one of the, like the Lakers and the Kings, all the banners that hang there. Who Who's the, the singer? Is it Taylor Swift that has the banner hanging there? Who's the singer that has the oh banner for the most sellouts? It, it is it, it is Taylor Swift, and that's a can of worms you don't want to open, buddy. No, uh, I won't. I won't. But it's <laughs> it's it's one of the iconic arenas in sports just because of all the history. And it's only been open, like, what, 20 years? I, I can remember going to see the Lakers in the heat when, when Shaq was on the heat and, and Kobe was obviously playing with the Lakers. I mean, I was there to see that, and it, it was cool. And it's like, yeah, we're going to Staples for a game. I don't want to be like, I'm going to Crypto.com Arena. It, it's going to take some time, obviously, to to wrap your head around um, the fact that it's not Staples Center. But I, like, I'm with you. the The initial naming rights are so important because if you are able to stick in a spot long enough, as Staples has uh, with the LA Kings in that building. Uh, you become synonymous, right? Like Staples Center is synonymous with the heyday of the LA Kings in winning championships with Kobe and Shaq, as you mentioned. And, and no matter how many different names that arena has over the coming years, it's always going to be Staples Center. Everyone's always going to think of it as Staples Center. And there's really no amount of time I feel that's going to move anyone off of that. It is Staples Center. It's always going to feel like Staples Center. Uh, and that's kind of my thought on it. Now, Switching gears to another interesting storyline in Southern California. Ryan Getzloff, the first and only Anaheim Duck to score 1,000 points with the organization. Uh, Getzloff, one goal, 17 assists, 18 points. Picked up a point last night for number 1,000. Um, is Ryan Getzloff the best Duck ever? I think he's certainly... In the discussion, I mean, I, I feel like, is he the best player that's ever played for the Ducks? Or Because I, I feel like Scott Niedermeyer might be the best player who's ever played for the Ducks. But obviously, Scott that's Niedermeyer had, had a legacy somewhere. Well, I'm a little biased, too. But Scott Niedermeyer of course built, built his legacy somewhere else. I don't really consider Scott Niedermeyer a Duck, even though he was obviously a member of a Ducks team that won the Stanley Cup. Sure. I look at Ryan Getzlaff as Mr. Anaheim Duck, and I know they've had a, a couple of other really good players, like Corey Perry was obviously a, a, a big uh, part of, of those really good Duck teams. But, I mean, Getzlaff has been there through thick and thin. He's still there. I, was, I, I wasn't sure if he was going to come back. And then when I realized how close he was to 1,000 points, I said, yeah, he's coming back. But he was a guy, remember, he was rumored to be on the move the trade deadline last year. So I think he he's obviously one of the most beloved players in Ducks history. I, I think he probably is the best Anaheim Duck ever. So a couple of things for Ryan Getzloff, right? He won a Stanley Cup with Anaheim as a 21-year-old in 2006-2007. 17 points in 21 games in that, in that run That's as a 21-year-old. 120 points in 125 career playoff games with Anaheim. And again, as we mentioned, a 1,000 points with the organization. Like, it's hard 
to find another player that that kind of touches the legacy that Gaylof has with the Ducks. Because you look at Team Solani, and there were a number of of different places that Solani played. And yes, he became synonymous with the Ducks, but I I don't view him in the same lens that I do Ryan Getzlaff. To me, Getzlaff, Corey Perry, they're kind of one in the same. But Getzlaff has stayed. Perry has moved on, and and so it, it kind of changes things. Paul Correa had an opportunity. Like I think the closest you can get to what Getzloff has meant to this organization is maybe Paul Correa. But you know, I, I look at Ryan Getzloff and just his longevity, his consistency year after year. He is Mr. Anaheim Duck, and I, I think that he's the best duck that's ever played uh, for that franchise. I really do. I, I hate the idea that Paul Correa's career was cut short. Because he was he yeah. was a special player and you electric. Yeah, you, you don't see like even today in today's game, there's very few players where we look at and they're like, these guys are elite special players. Obviously, McDavid jumps off the charts, but Paul Korea wasn't as good as Connor McDavid, but man, he was in that next level of guys where where you're like, Wow, he he could just light up an arena every time he touched the puck. And it, it's it's a shame, really, that that he had to deal with the injuries that he did because I would have loved to see him play his entire career and and just see what he could have accomplished. So Ryan gets laugh. Congratulations, one thousand career points, and you know we'll see where he ends up at the end of the year. Currently, just over a point a game for the Anaheim Ducks. Now, the Hall of Fame is always an interesting topic, as as we we saw the induction ceremony earlier this week Uh, congratulations to all the inductees to the hockey hall of fame it got me thinking about next year what is the induction class going to look like for the hockey hall of fame next year and i think the names that come up most often when looking at next year is henrik and daniel sedin so question that i'm posing to you chapman should henrik and daniel be in the hall of fame <laughs> yes, I, I I feel that both of them belong in in the Hall of Fame. Um, it, it's weird. It, it's kind of like a tag team in wrestling, where <laughs> like I I could not imagine DX without Shawn Michaels and Hunt and, and Triple H like at, at at that time, right? Because they oh they, man, I thought you were gonna say Shawn Waltman. I thought you were gonna throw X Pac. You in know, there. actually, actually, when I when I think about it in DX, it, it should be the Road Dog, Jesse James, and and Billy Gunn, right? Because those that yes. was the, that was the yep. big tag team in in DX. Wow, I'm really aging myself there when I'm bringing. No, up. no, no. That's that's the better that's the better reference. So for sure. so I could not have imagined DX not having either the Road Dog or or Billy Gunn because that that was the the tag team or or. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of the other iconic tag team that the British Bulldogs. That was one when I was a kid. They're, they're, they're a team, and I feel like it, it, it's kind of strange, but I feel like they have to go in together. They, they, they probably should both be on the same bust, the same plaque together, because I yes. couldn't imagine one without the other. It, it's like it's like peanut butter without jelly like you you can't imagine one without the other <laughs> i mean peanut butter and jelly sandwich is in the sandwich hall of fame so you got to put both the sedine twins in at the same time so I, I, i'm with you in that i think they both have to go at the same time like i i can't imagine a scenario 
chaotic as it may be, where like Daniel gets in and then Henrik has to wait a year, or Henrik gets in and Daniel has to wait a year. But here's my my hot take on the Sedin twins. Um, I don't want to see, and and I this I, I recognize this sounds harsh, and and it is what it is, and 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 I don't really care. Until Alexander Mogilny is in the Hockey Hall of Fame, I don't have time for Henrik and Daniel Sedin. <laughs> I, I just simply don't. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't. Mogilny should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't 1, think there's... 1,032 uh, points in 990 career games. He was the first Russian player to defect to the NHL, assuming all of that risk, all of that unknown. He won a Stanley Cup, had a 76-goal season in 92-93. I don't understand, legitimately, I don't understand why Alex Mogilny is not in the in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And until that happens, I don't have time to listen to the argument over Daniel and Henrik Sedin. I just don't, because it's a shame and it is a tragedy that, that Alexander Mogilny is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's one of those real head-scratchers, and you, you kind of have to wonder why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he 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 had some unbelievable statistics. When when you look, I mean, you mentioned the 76-goal season, over 1,000 yeah. points, almost 500 goals in his career, and he did it in multiple places. He played for a couple different teams, and he was really good every place he went. I mean, as you mentioned, won a Stanley Cup. He was phenomenal in Vancouver. Um, you know, he he obviously really, I, I think, made his mark with the Sabres at a time when the Sabres were, were a pretty formidable team. I got another name for you, and I don't know if you can make the case this guy deserves in over the Sedin Twins or, or, or not, but when I think of guys who, who next year, and I'm like, how is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? I think of Mr. Ottawa Senator, Daniel Alfredson. Like, he's yeah. another one. He's over 1,000 points, 426 career goals, 17-year career. Yeah, he never won a cup because he spent 16 of those seasons playing for the Ottawa Senators. One and year, neither did the Sedins. Yeah, exactly. At least they made a final. Alfredson made a final too, right? Well, he, they, they lost in the, in the Yeah, the but... but yeah, but but I mean the Sedins lost their final in epic epic fashion <laughs> in in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, so, but, but yeah, Alfredson. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you there too. Like, if if the Sedins are are kind of looked at as yeah, it's it's got to happen. It's automatic. Then you have to make kind of the same case for Daniel Alfredson because he had arguably less to work with than the Sedin's did. Yeah, and and I think maybe what, what hurts him is he never, not that the Sedin twins, right, but he never won a heart despite the yeah. fact that, that he had, he, he was one of those guys where, where you look at his numbers and he never really had numbers that flew off the charts. Like he never had a 76-goal season. But I find what's impressive is he was consistent for a long time and I feel like that's really hard to do to do it over the course of 16 17 seasons where your numbers are really kind of they're, they're, they're good numbers and I think like you you look at he had a season where he's got 32 goals 48 assists he had a hundred point season the year after 2005 2006 43 goals 60 assists they're good numbers and he had consistent numbers Almost his entire career, he did win some hardware. He won the Calder Trophy. He won the Messier Award. And he won the King Clancy Trophy. So, I mean, he's got a little bit of variety in, in what he's done on and off the ice as well. And and I feel like 
it's kind of a shame that that he's not in either. Yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you. And my parameters on the Hockey Hall of Fame are, are very different, I think, from a lot of people's. Uh, but I also recognize what the Hockey Hall of Fame is now. And under the current parameters, uh, Mogilny and, and Alfredson, they're, in my estimation, ahead of Henrik and Daniel Sedin. We are going to give away another pair of tickets to Vegas and it's Edmonton, right? Vegas and Edmonton. Yes. Uh, Next Saturday, now this coming Saturday, next Saturday, caller number fifth. No, no, no. Caller number 12. Caller number 12, you've won a pair of tickets to Vegas and Edmonton. Those are your one timers for Wednesday, November 17th. It's really not hard, Darren. I don't know why you do it. We're back to wrap it up next, catching up with Chapman on Fox Sports Las Vegas. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right. Catching Up with Chapman Wednesday edition. And, uh, you know, Darren's not here. See so how much better that flows? Yeah. You see how yeah. much better that flows? I, I, I kind of like Don't that. Let yeah. da- just, just jump in tomorrow. I'm going to do it. Just jump in tomorrow. Yeah. So Red Wings on the docket tomorrow. I'm, I'm excited to see them play. A, because we have not seen them in... Forever, it seems like. I don't think they actually came to T-Mobile the year. I think they were supposed to come. I think they were the next home game before there was the uh, the pause. So they haven't been to T-Mobile in like three years, which is really, really interesting that, that it's been that long since the Detroit Red Wings have come here. But they've got some really talented players um, that I'm really excited to see. Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider. Unfortunately, Dylan Larkin will not be in the lineup. He tested positive for COVID last night, and they pulled him out mid-game. But Tyler Bertuzzi is another guy who I'm excited to see because he's having a really good season for that Red Wings team, and I feel like maybe they're overachieving a little bit. So tomorrow should be fun. We'll get to see Detroit, and uh, hopefully it's it's a good game, and hopefully no one else ends up on the COVID list for either one of these teams. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big story going into tomorrow is is what what it, what it looks like for both clubs as they head into that game. Uh, should be an interesting one. Congratulations to Joe and Jason, our two winners today. Chris Chapman, good job today, buddy. Well Thanks. done. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. We will be back. 4 o'clock, VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas.